Good morning. As we think about the new year and resolutions, many of us would love to have lives more characterized by love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to take them one at a time. Love tops the list. And so what we're going to deal with this morning is the question, how can we see more of God's love, more love in our lives? To begin with, we have to make a distinction between human love and divine love. Um, talks about this, we'll look at a couple of scripture verses. The first it says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. When we think of the difference between divine love and human love, human love, often we think of it as something that we fall into and fall out of. I was in love and then I fell out of love. It's more a noun, more a thing. Biblically, love is more active. It's more verb than noun. And when we are to love, we're to do those things that will meet the needs of those that we care about. And so that's one thing, one distinction. When we think of the love the Bible talks about, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not necessarily emotional. It's action. It's giving someone what they need in order to deal with their life, especially in a time of need. A second verse we'll look at, what it says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. When we think of the difference between divine love and human love, the first thing we noticed is that divine love is more verb than noun, something that God does. The second thing we see that divine love is oriented towards them, and human love is oriented towards us. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. The word wicked is the word that is used to describe the evil one. It's evil. And what it indicates then is that God loves those who are on the other side of the aisle. He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. We don't have a hard time loving us. You know, if you have individuals that you're comfortable with, they think the same way, they might have the same political views or emotional views, and if they, if you kind of have a lot in common with people, it's kind of easy to love them. It's kind of, it's a because kind of love, because we think alike, because we see things the same way, love. And that's, there is, that is love, but it's not as deep and wide as divine love. Divine love crosses over to embrace those who are them. 
It's, and when we think about who are your thems, you know, the individuals that you're not going to love naturally. It's not going to be easy for you to be kind to them. Biblical love embraces them, not just us. And in that way, it's very, very different. It's, it's relatively easy to love them. That's what the, the passage indicates. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. You don't need to be spiritual to love people who think about things like you do. You do have to be spiritual to be able to extend love to those who are not turning from your same page, whom you might consider to be enemies. And again, that's why we need to look at both of these. I don't think when the Bible talks about loving an enemy, I don't think it's meaning that you should run up and embrace them and have an open relationship because that's not love biblically. But if an enemy is in a position where they are experiencing something that they need, love means not that you say, I love you, but that you meet their needs. You do what is necessary for them. That's what. So this is what love is. Is divine love is more verb than noun. It's directed towards them and not just to us. That's what love is. How do we then go about being channels of this divine love? How can this kind of love become more a part of how we operate? That's let's talk about that. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about blocked channels and open channels. In the Bible, there's several passages that talk about blocked channels. And what we'll notice, two instances where it says they didn't have or they don't have the love of God in them. When we are a channel for God's love, we need to be inhabited by that love. We need to be an object of it in order for us to reflect that to somebody else. Somebody put it this way. Our love for others is an echo of God's love for us. Now that's true when we're talking about divine love. We need to be loved divinely in order to extend that divine love to others. So let's look at what is it that gets in the way that blocks this love from entering us and being able to be expressed to others. Have a verse that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And if the love of the Father is not in us, we can't express that. The fruit of the Spirit is when the love of the Father inhabits us. And so, what is it to love the world? And in this passage, it talks about the characteristics of the world and what the world lives for is for the desire of the eyes and the desire of the flesh. And I think what that's describing is when we see something, we want to possess it. 
So the world runs by seeing and wanting to possess. And then when you see and possess, the world operates by the desire to parade what you possess. So those two things. What does it mean to love the world? It means to live for parading and possessing. Now, if you possess something and you parade it, if it's a car or if it's a new ring or if it's a gift, why do we parade what we possess? Why do we do that? I would suggest that we want to live, and there's nothing wrong with this. It can become an addiction, but we want to live in the light of somebody's admiration. You know, so I show you this nifty little advancer that I'm sure all of you would like to have. And so I have this advancer, and it's been working pretty well today. <laughs> um, but so what I would do then, I would kind of parade this advancer. So what I want to do is live in the light of your smile. I feel very fortunate that I have an advancer like this. And when you smile at me, I feel kind of better about myself. That's what the love of the world is like. It's possessing and parading in order to live in the light of other people's smiles. Is it bad to be smiled at by someone? No, it isn't. But to the degree we become addicted to it, and when the less admirable qualities, the things that we're not so proud about, what we end up doing is we end up hiding those. We end up pushing them down if there's things about us that are not admirable. We kind of dislodge those things or we hide them. And that becomes a problem. And we'll see why that becomes a problem. There is a, another verse. It indicates uh, I think I might have mixed those up. Okay. Here's what Jesus said. As far as he is, this is not the advancer's fault. This is the advancer's fault. Not this. <laughs> okay. Um, Jesus said, speaking to the Pharisees, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And then he goes on to say, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? and do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God. The thing about the Pharisees, one of the main problems is that they lived to experience the smiles of everyone around them. That's when it talks about the glory of men. Glory, biblically, it has to do with somebody's face lighting up. And so when you think of driving a new car and everybody's face lights up, they, the Pharisees lived for that. But not with respect to physical things, but when they were in the marketplace and it was the time for prayer. And they would look up to God and say all the right words and they were looking up to God, but part, you know, another eye was looking around them, looking at the people saying, oh, look how spiritual he is. And they lived for that. And when they, they gave alms to the poor, it was associated with the ringing of bells. And so they would give the gift. And, and what Jesus was indicating, that to the degree they were addicted to the experience of the admiration of others, they loved the applause of men. They loved it. And what Jesus indicates to them, that if your sole 
focus is the love of men. That's why you possess and parade. That to that degree, if you live for the love of men, the applause of men, the applause of heaven is not going to be what you'd like it to be. In fact, oftentimes what we're going to see, those who experience vertical applause don't necessarily experience as much horizontal applause as they would like. I read this verse, and I think I had the wrong verse up there. I want to read this one more time so you have and you're able to look through it. Um, It says basically the same thing. Uh, Jesus said, do not love the world. John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, here it is, the love of the Father is not in him. And if the love of the Father isn't in you, you can't experience or extend it to others. And he goes, for everything in the world, again, the cravings of sinful man, I want to have it, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. When we rely on people's smiles, we can hide our less admirable qualities. We can make ourselves look better, more spiritual than we are, especially what we end up doing when we want to appear spiritual, when we want to look the right way. Uh, Jesus said, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The word hypocrite is an interesting word. It comes from a combination of words. One of them means to judge. So it's based in judgment. Hypocrisy is based in judgment. When I take something and identify it as unwanted, unwelcome, bad. And hypocrisy is a combination of that word judgment and the other word for the Greek under. The word in Greek for under is hupo or hupa. The word for judgment is chrysis. Hupa chrysis. Hupacrysis. Hypocrite. And what it is, it's when I judge something, I don't feel good about it, and I know I'm not going to get your smile if I show it, so I push it down. And I won't show you the real thing. I'll show you the right thing. So I will do whatever I need to get your smile. But underneath there, there's a lot that I'm not showing you. What Jesus said, that these people honor me with their lips. They say all the right things. But does God, does God care more about what we say or what we feel deep down? God cares about what we feel deep down. And that was Jesus' issue, was those who image was everything. And I've heard it said, I think it's true, when image is everything, how things really are never gets dealt with. Would you agree with that? When image is everything, you have to look the right way to get the right kind of reaction. You've got to possess and parade. You've got to live for the glory. And when how things look is all that matters, how things really are never gets dealt with. We're so busy cleaning the outside of the cup and dish that there are soiled things, not admirable things inside. And God sees those things. And we're afraid 
Well, we become afraid of him, don't we? You know why, why we do? Because we need to learn about his love. We look at things that are unlovable and we say, I can't love anything like that. I can't love anyone like that. And, but God's love is different from our love. God loves them, not just us. And them could be the people that we don't love or them could be the things within us that we don't like. Our thoughts and feelings, the things we hoopa crit, we push down. God sees those and he's not as offended by them as we are. And he doesn't want us to hide those things from him because when we find God and an ability to be able to be more honest and vulnerable with him, not to hide the things inside, but to share them with him, guess what we divide? We begin to experience a real relationship with God. A real relationship with God. And as that happens, we become less frightened of him, more honest with him, and we find ourselves, get this, loving him with our whole heart, not just the nice part of our heart, our whole heart. How do we become open channels? We talk about what blocked channels is from. It's playing to the applause of men. Open channels, we have to play to the applause of God. How does that happen? Let's look at one individual um, who seemed to evidence a divine love. Again, you remember the story of Joseph, what his brothers did to him. It was just a nightmare. They, I'm not going to go into all the stuff, but they, they threw him in a cave, and he got sold into slavery, and he got falsely accused of of raping someone, and he was betrayed by someone, and he's just one thing after another. He landed in a decent place. Um, what ends up happening toward the end of his life, his brothers who threw him into the cave, they came and they were really frightened, and Joseph reached down into his heart, and they had done awful things to him. He reached down into his heart, and he was able to find kindness and forgiveness and compassion, it really isn't, it's, it's an example of divine love. And he was kind to them. And we're going to talk about why. Would you agree with me? That think about those people. Think about them. And when you reach into your heart, and what do you pull up? If you're me, you don't pull up a steaming pile of forgiveness <laughs> and kindness. Um, how is Joseph able to pull this off? This what it says. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So, don't, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He reached into his heart and found forgiveness and gentleness. How could he pull this off? You know what he was able to understand? God's good trumped their bad. You've heard it said, we've talked about this before, forgive and forget. Did Joseph forget what his brothers did? No, of course not. Forgive and forget, it's not realistic. It, it might be for a hypocrite who might think, well, I can't feel anything like that. And so they pushed that 
anger and resentment down. And then when you push anger and resentment down, it, it goes right away, right? It just it disappears, doesn't it? You know that it doesn't disappear. It doesn't disappear. See, God doesn't want us to push those things down. I imagine that during the course of his time in Egypt, Joseph spent a lot of time dealing with very difficult feelings. You know what he came to understand? He saw what his brothers did and all that it cost him. But then he looked around and he saw all the people who were eating because he had come to a position of second in command. And what he was able to understand, I'm going to forgive you because what I know, God's good trumped your bad. That's why Joseph was able to forgive. Because he understood no one could disconnect him from experience in God's good purposes. Can I tell that to you? No one can keep you from experiencing God's good purposes. Democrat or Republican, communist or American, no one can frustrate God's desire to enfold someone with love because God is powerful and his love flows and it's it's a verb not a noun and it's it it's directed to them how can we be channels of god's love um first i think it'll it would you agree it takes time what might you what do you what should you think about if you wanted to be more loving a couple of bible verses as we close what it says there's no fear in love but Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Perfect love displaces the fear of judgment. If you want to be a channel of God's love, might I suggest that you focus on God's love. What about this as a New Year's resolution? This year you would become brilliant and understanding God's love. Why would you do that? Because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Our love for others is an echo of God's love for us. Are you hearing this? Do you know this? That would be a good resolution, wouldn't it be? If you had a spiritual goal this year, this year is the year that you become brilliant in understanding God's love. You know what happened if we did that? We would grow in our ability to understand it and express it. There is a verse that talks about God's love. Last one we'll look at today. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God pours out his love. And we talked about why we become blocked channels. If, but it also describes if God pours out his love in our heart, we can be open channels because perfect love drives out fear. And we love because he first loved us. If God pours out his love into our hearts, then seeing that, look what it says about God's love. And here's what I want you to focus on. What were you like when God extended his love to you? Were you doing it well and saying it right? Were you being admirable? Was he 
smiling at all the wonderful things you were doing, how devoted you were. Look what it says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man. Someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. It describes what God did. He sent his son to die for you. But that's not the significant thing. The significant thing is when he did it. What you were like when he sent his son, you were, well, what does it say? You were powerless, unable to do the things that he wanted you to do ungodly and sinful. When we were powerless, ungodly, and sinful, God extended his love toward us. What if you were able to believe that more deeply? That when you were powerless, ungodly, and sinful, God sent his son. That when you do those things that you wish you didn't do, it does not impact God's love because he extended his love when you were doing those things. So when you do those things, does he withhold his love? Does he back away from you? He does not. What if we believe that? You know what would happen? God's love would enter more deeply into our heart. You know what you'd find? You're able to be a little more tolerant with yourself, with those thoughts and feelings that are unwelcome and unwanted and that you get so angry at yourself for. You become a little more tolerant. You know what would happen? You become a little more gentler, a little more Christ-like with yourself. And with others, you would find a gradual, progressive, slowly evolving ability to be a little gentler with those who don't see things your way. We love because he first loved us, and he first loved us when we were powerless, ungodly, and sinful. When we were them, God acted and reached out in love toward us in sending his son so we could be enfolded by that love. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love and for its character, that it's a verb, not a noun, that it's directed towards them, not us. It's very natural to love us, very difficult to love them. When we live for the applause of the crowd, it doesn't mean that we don't like to be admired, that's fine, but when, yeah, but when we have to hide aspects of ourselves. Um, ah, that becomes a problem. At any rate, we can't be honest with everyone, but we can with you. There's nothing about you revealed in Scripture in the New Testament on this side of Jesus that would cause us, if we understood it, to be afraid of you with our unwanted, unwelcome thoughts and feelings inside because you extended love in full awareness of those unwelcome, unwanted thoughts and feelings, powerless, ungodly, sinful things, and you loved us. And so we don't need to fear that you're going to back away from us. I pray that, well, I guess I'd ask this. And as as we close in prayer, if you're here or virtual, how about you pray this? I'll give you a chance to do that. Father, I ask that you would reveal your love to me this year. 
I can't think of a more important prayer. Father, would you reveal your love to me this year so that it would both enter into me and it would be extended from me to others. God, Father, would you reveal your love to us? It's divine. And we would understand it so that we could be channels of it. It's not going to happen quickly, but little by little, help it to be more deeply rooted in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.